this is the Cubicle Renegade podcast session number 24. In this session, it's a little bit different. I was at FinCon 2013, which is the financial bloggers conference in St. Louis just about a week ago. And I got the privilege to sit down with Pat Flynn, good friend of mine, been doing some work with over this year. And we talked in front of a live audience, which was very, very different because you could actually see if your jokes landed or not. And we talked about his mistakes. So things he's done in his business, things even way before he started Smart Passive Income or his Green Exam Academy website, and even things since then in the past four or five years he's been doing business online and what he's actually learned from all these mistakes. And there are a lot, a lot of good takeaways in this interview. So the audio quality isn't the greatest because obviously sitting in front of a live audience, we were hand-holding mics and, you know, if you can deal with the quality of the audio, you can get a ton of information from this interview. I had the privilege of speaking at this conference at Well, which was my first time speaking at a um, blogging industry kind of conference. Not my first time public speaking. I've done a lot of presentations at business school and things like that, but I put a lot of time and effort into this presentation, so I'm excited to get the recording of that and hopefully be sharing that with you guys in the next week or so. So without further ado, here's some beatboxing and Pat Flynn's mistakes. Are you done yet? I'm done. Okay. So here we go. Episode of Cubicle Renegade Podcast, sitting here with Pat Flynn at FinCon 2013. How you doing, Pat? I'm doing awesome. How are you, Caleb? I'm doing great. My talk's over. Your talk's over. Your trip's over. My trip? Which trip? The trip onto your face. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so we're here, and we're going to talk about mistakes that you've made in your business. I've made a lot of mistakes. In your business? In my business, yes. And in, and in life. But we, we're not going to talk about those. <laughs> so where do you want to start? What, what's your earliest business mistake that you can remember? Well, one of the biggest mistakes I made in probably a really important one was, I mean, a lot of you know my story, and I created a business helping people how to pass the lead exam. Uh-huh. But the story is I created that site not knowing it was going to turn into a business. And the domain name of that site was actually in the lead.com. Lead was the name of the exam that I was taking. And I thought it was cool, right? Like it's a play on words in the lead. And so I thought I was, I thought I was being clever. You were. Thank you. Yeah. And then the business took off. I started doing really well, making ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month, uh, selling a study guide and practice exams. And it was April of two thousand nine. I get this nice letter from the United States Green Building Council, um, and I opened it up, and they basically told me to stop what I was doing. And um, initially, I just freaked out because yeah. it was a like a real letter from an attorney. And I, and I didn't read word for word. I just saw, stop what you're doing. And I freaked out. I thought I was getting sued. I was like, everything I had done, I mean, what am I going to do? I should just stop what I was doing. And initially, what was going through my head was, wow, I'm like doing real business stuff and this like real life stuff is happening. I don't think I'm cut out for this anymore. I should just go <laughs> you back. You were just going to gonna quit? I was just going to, I was scared. I was like, I don't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't think that I was maybe cut out for business or doing it the right way. I thought I was just not cut out for it. Yeah. But I called an attorney to help me out, and he said, okay, don't worry, you're not getting sued. It's a cease and desist letter, basically saying you have X number of days. I had, 
they gave me 14 days, which was like nothing, um, to change my domain name or just stop what I was doing. So he called their council and they talked and they gave me, they gave me 60 days. So that was a negotiation. And so I could have fought for that domain name. It was really cool. But <laughs> who knows how much money I would have spent. And I had gotten some advice from people in a mastermind group. Hey, you can create a new domain. You can just dump all the same content, same theme and all that stuff and do a permanent 301 redirect, which is code term for saying, you know, basically when anyone goes to my old site, it redirects them to the new site. But a 301 permanent redirect specifically tells Google that I'm making this domain change. And that any time someone finds me on, Go uh, on Google through keyword research, eventually it would go to my new site instead of my old one. And so how long did you have that redirect up? I had it up for 30 days. Yeah, which um, was long enough for Google to it was, yeah. keep all the SEO that you were getting. Right. I had it up for 30 days until I got another letter from the United States Green Building Council saying, hey, you're still using the domain name. <laughs> you're redirecting. You can't do anything. So drop it now or we're going to sue you. And I was like, okay. And okay, the interesting thing was I was actually helping this company out by the website I, I was creating, right? I, I didn't understand that. I'm actually sending customers over to you to take your $350 exam. I'm making people more comfortable with actually taking the exam because they have the material to do it. Why are we doing this? And actually, I found out. Maybe because you were increasing people's passing rates, and so they weren't taking the test as many times. Well, possibly. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. But really what was happening was there was a lot of sites coming up also talking about the lead exam that were using lead in their domain name. And they were doing it in a way that wasn't presenting lead in a, in a good light. And, and they so just went after everybody. To get rid of one, legally, they had to get rid of all of them, and mine included. So the domain name went away. If you go to inthelead.com right now, it actually says site does not exist. Because um, you still own it, but you just aren't using it for anything. Correct. But everything, was, everything went fine. There was, there was no, no, nothing went wrong in the transition, luckily, because I did that 30 days. Yeah. So that, that was And that. any problems with traffic or search engines or anything, or you kept all of it because no, you did the, the transfer? No, the traffic, search engine rankings all stay the same. Cool. And then... So after you started that one, you also started a couple other blogs that you don't do anymore. Yes. You want to tell us about some of those? Yeah, a lot of people don't know this. Um, you know, they see the transition from my lead exam site, Green Exam Academy, to Smart Passive Income, where I talk about it. But there was some other sites in there in between that I tried to create. And one of them was uh, one that I wanted to start with my wife because she saw what I was doing um, at this time. And uh, actually, she was my fiance at the time. And... So I thought I wanted to create a project to get her involved. So again, I thought of a really clever domain name. Um, no trademark in it, though. And the domain name was going to be called A Couple of Thoughts. Like, we're a couple and a couple of thoughts. But I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay, I, I yeah. got it. <laughs> and so the site was going to be a side-by-side -side blog theme with like the left or right side being... Like his and her towels? Kind his, of? Yeah. yeah. Left side is my opinion on a specific topic of the day or topic of the week and you know I'd have the male perspective and she would have the female perspective right and I thought that was a good idea and we were both really excited about it so I built the theme because there was no side-by-side -side WordPress theme that would do this and allow me to put like a specific category or topic yeah. of the week in there and I spent maybe 500 bucks creating a theme on elance.com and everything was ready to go and then we decided to write and as we were writing we were fighting and we just <laughs> It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun anymore. And it was just hard to 
be witty and, and interesting and to, to a potential audience. And anyway, it was just hard. And so we dumped the project. The really interesting thing, thinking back, what if we just started writing first and discovered that before we spent all this money and two months' time creating this site? We should have validated what the product was actually going to be first before we created the platform around it. And that was a big lesson I learned in that mistake. So you, that was like what you were focused on completely for that time period? Correct. Uh, well, I was doing it at the same time as the, as lead, the lead stuff, stuff okay. but that was sort of passive, so I yeah. had time to work on other things. Yeah. Now, another site that I created around that time, we were like, okay, we're not going to do this together. You're doing your own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. So I found, I, I, that's when I started to discover keyword research and okay. you know, cost per click and analyzing these, this data. And I found a keyword that looked really attractive. It was called how to memorize anything. That was the keyword. It had like a 4.5 cost per click rate. And I was going for this site purely yeah. because I knew how to build a blog. I knew how to write content. And uh, it, the money was attractive. And so I was like, sweet, maybe I can rank like I did for my lead site and do really well. Well, I built the platform. I, cr I, I spent money on the logo and all this cool stuff. And then I started writing. <laughs> and it wasn't fun. And I think the, the I mean, a less, the same exact mistake as the previous one. But even beyond that, I was, I was a money chaser here. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking of the long term. I was thinking of the money was attracting me to this, nothing else. And that's when I learned that everything I do from that point forward should be because I'm passionate or there is some passion to help a specific group of people mm -hmm. that would push me forward. You know, if I had passion for this, how to memorize stuff, which I thought was related, it would relate pretty well to the study exam site that I had. So it was a little bit of crossover. Um, if, if it was something I had passion for or I was passionate for a specific market, it would have pushed me through those hard times where right. I was writing and it was just boring. And you can still use the keyword research and knowing all that stuff along with what you actually like to do. Right. It was a great lesson in yeah, keyword research yeah. and understanding how Google works for my existing businesses right. that I actually had passion for. Right. And then any other random sites that no longer exist? They're in the internet graveyard? No. No. Just those two? Okay. Well, those two from that time. From that time period. Yes. Any when you were like a child? Um, I have a couple GeoCities websites, <laughs> like, uh, like a Zanga blog from college where I talked about what I ate for dinner and what the party was like the other day. Um, Hopefully no one can find those, though. No, I deleted those. You deleted them. Yeah. Good. So then you started Smart Passive Income, and one thing you waited a long time on that you talk about is your email list. So tell me why you waited. And then why did you regret waiting so long? Well, I waited, I waited to start my email list. And the reason I waited was because I didn't think it was that important. I didn't have a huge audience at first. So I figured, you know, paying X number of dollars for a subscription service, you know, was a waste for me, I thought. Well, I soon learned from a lot of other people and a lot of other people in my mastermind groups that um, that was a huge mistake. Because everybody who came to my site and left were people that I could have had on an email list to, to yeah. connect with later. But yeah. even more important, and this is what somebody told me, I forget who, but you know, an email list is really important you know, for, for, for sending messages and keeping in contact with your audience like you know, through an autoresponder and delivering content and when you promote stuff, yes. But most importantly, if my blog goes away and dies, there's no way I can reach my audience anymore. Or gets anymore. hacked. Right, or gets like hacked. Like it did earlier it did. this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Caleb and I were in San Francisco um, for a meeting, and um, we were filming some stuff. 
and my site went down for an entire week. This was this past March. Yeah. And luckily, I had my email list, and I was able to keep in contact with my audience and tell them what was going on, fill them in on the details, yeah. and even send them to other places where I'm at, like my podcast and my YouTube video in the meantime. If I didn't have that email list, I, there would be no way for me to connect with my audience. Although I did have my podcast and YouTube channel, which, you yeah. know, my strategy of, you know, using multiple platforms to deliver content in different forms to people, yeah. that helped in my favor too. But the email list is, is, is huge. It's your business's most important asset. Yeah. And um, there's nothing more personal than emails right now. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I wake up and I would check my email within the first 30 minutes. I mean, it's sad, but... You know, in an email is almost like a, you know someone ringing your doorbell or or ringing your phone. You know, you can't not look at it. It might be something important, and you know if you use the right headlines, of course, and you deliver, you know it's going to pay you back. And and also people know they could immediately email you at any time too, because they could just reply to any email you send them an autoresponder, and you immediately have that contact. Yeah, absolutely. And and even um, a cool thing that I'm doing now with my autoresponder, I think it's the third or fourth email that people get automatically after they subscribe. You know. I send them an email every week. I've pre-written these emails. One of these pre-written emails asks my audience a question. A lot of people don't do this. They don't engage with their audience on their email list. But it's perfect because this question I ask in my autoresponder is, hey, what are you struggling with? What, what can I help you out with? What's a, what's a blog post you want to see me write about? This is like the fourth email they get automatically. So every day, I'm getting a constant stream of emails from people telling me, what I should be writing about. I don't have to guess what my audience wants because they're telling me. And this is happening automatically. Do you see the power behind this? And they feel like they're special because I'm asking them to contribute. And when they feel they're like they're contributing and they see that I might potentially, or even if I do write this write post, about that, yeah. wow, I helped Pat on his blog. They're more committed to you, they're more loyal fans, and they're gonna be with you much longer. So how long did you wait on Smart Passive Income before starting your email list? Well, I started Smart Passive Income in October of 2008, yeah. and my email list started January of 2010. So, over, so I've missed like out on 14, 14 months? 15 months of potential subscribers. And currently, I have 65,000 people on my email list. It could be a lot more, yeah. and, and I could have had many more loyal, devoted fans at that early moment in my blog. And then even now with your email list, are there still ways that you think, oh, I could have used it better for your book launch or something like that too? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that. I recently launched a book called Let Go, and I had a podcast with a man named Jeff Goins, who is a, um, an author uh, both on Amazon and traditionally. And um, I had him on my podcast, and we did this really cool thing um, where he came on my podcast, and I asked, uh, he was giving me tips on how to promote my book. And then the second half of the podcast was recorded three months later after I took his advice and we... And Back to the Future jokes ensued. Yeah, Back to yeah. the Future <laughs> jokes, plenty of those came in. And um, then we discussed how it went, what I did right, what I did wrong. Now, one thing I did right was I created this group of, on Facebook who followed my progress as I was writing this book. Um, currently, the group is about 4,000 people, which is yeah. crazy, but it, it started... You know, obviously at zero, but even if you have 100 people or 200 people following you along with the progress, they're going to be really excited about what you're doing. They're going to feel like, if you ask them, they're contributing to the progress. And when you launch your book or product or whatever they're following you doing, 
they're going to be more likely to, to buy it and feel like they have a part in it or a stake in it, and they want to help you out. And something I did right, which Jeff suggested I did in that first half of, half of that episode, was you want to get a group of solid just supporters for this message you're trying to send through your yeah. book. Ambassadors. Yeah, a launch it. team. Kinda. A launch team. And, you know, I gave things away to this launch team. I gave them special videos and special prizes and things like that to make them feel special. But in exchange, they would go out and share the book. They had me on their podcast. And it just, we created an event out of the launch of this book. And we actually called it Let Go Day because mm -hmm. the book is called Let Go. And it actually celebrated my five-year anniversary of getting laid off. And um, so we were celebrating that. We created this big event. We had a, um, a screen or a, a live streaming event Webinar, for a couple hours, yeah. webinars, Q&A session. That was pretty fun. But the one thing I did wrong, and this is what Jeff told me, he's like, Pat, I'm on your email list. You come out with this book. You send me one email about it. Just one. You built this email list. Yeah. Do you only love, do you only think your book is important enough for just one email? And I was like, hmm. But I'm scared of hurt, I'm scared of my, I'm scared of promoting too much to my list. Right? That's what I said. That's what everybody says. And he's like, I understand that. But this is something you've been working on for so long. You put your heart and soul into it. Yeah. If you're going to... I mean, you're doing your audience a disservice by just sharing one email. Yeah. Because they're thinking it's not really that important because you're only talking about it one time. Mm. And he was like, I would have loved to see three or four emails from you within the span of two weeks. They don't have to be the same email. They shouldn't be the same email. But the first one could be, you know, the the big grand launch email, right? Yeah. Announcing it, how I'm excited. The second one can be a follow-up with what people have said about it after they've read it. A third one can be potentially what people free have... Free chapter or two or free something? Free chapter, yeah. That was another mistake I made. Yeah. Um, a lot of mistakes, but, you know, mistakes are good. Failure is learning. And this is something I always say, and I'm trying to drill this into my kids now because they're so young. <laughs> Um, you know, in school, we learn that failure is, I mean, like... Failure is F. Failure is F, yeah. right? There's only one wrong answer. There's only one right answer. Yeah. And failing is bad. You know, you're, 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 you, you, you get held back if you fail, right? Um, we, we never think of failing as a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And as an entrepreneur um, who has failed multiple times and who is in connection with a lot of entrepreneurs who have failed, I'm sure you've failed yeah. plenty of times. Um, each of those failures is important in the journey of where I, to where I got today. Um, as long as you learn from your mistakes. And I always tell my kids, you know, it's okay if you make mistakes. It's okay to fail. As long as you learn from your mistakes and you learn that, you know, I don't want them to make the same mistake over and over and over, over, and over yeah. again without taking something away from it. Yeah. And then, so let's talk about more mistakes because this is really fun for me just to <laughs> remind you of all the awful things that have happened. No, this is good to be reminded though. Yeah, yeah. So... One thing you said w when we were prepping was trying to do everything yourself. So yeah. not hiring people, hiring people. Well, when I first started out, I don't know if it's because I'm a man and, you know, we can't stop by the side of the road and ask for directions. We have to figure things out for ourselves. That's how I was when I was starting out as an entrepreneur. I needed to do everything myself. It was... It was like pride for me. I wanted to figure everything out. Did you ever try to, like, move an image from one side of the screen to the other and... It took you how long? Eight hours. Eight hours to code it? Because I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to figure out I needed to learn CSS and HTML because I wanted to do it myself. And I finished after eight hours, and I was, I was proud of that. I finally figured it out. I was on YouTube and reading all these tutorials. 
but it was eight hours to do something that I could have asked one of my friends or colleagues to do for, it would take five minutes. And this was something I've always had an issue with. Um, and recently I've only been discovering the benefit of allowing other people to help me in my business. I always thought it was my business, so I have to do everything myself. Was it a financial reason? Like you didn't want to pay people or well, you just wanted was, the ownership? I of... mean, that was, that was part of it too, because why would I pay someone if I could do it myself, right? Because I could save a lot more time, I figured out eventually. And, and, and one of the first times I learned about this, actually, af after that initial eight hours spending that uh, yeah. image, um, a few months later, I came out with my book, which was the lead AP walkthrough. This is the lead exam study guide that I came out with. And um, the book was doing really well. And I was told from some people, great, your book is doing well. Time to introduce a second product, an audio book. I was like, sweet, that makes perfect sense. You know, I can use it as an upsell. I can, people might not want the book book, but they can get the audio book to study in their car or whatever during lunch at, their, at work. So I was like, sweet. So I spent three days recording it myself. And I listened to it. And it was the worst audio I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I, I, was not, I was not comfortable behind the microphone at that time. The quality wasn't good. I didn't have the right equipment. I was using one of those headsets. Like a gamer you know? headset? Right. So it sounded like, you know, I was a flight controller dude <laughs> reading this book that's supposed to be for professionals. So I was like, guys, I went back to my mastermind group after this happened. And I was like, guys, like... I tried this audiobook thing. I don't think it's going to work out because I recorded it and just it doesn't sound good. I can't, I can't ask people to pay for this. And, and they started laughing at me. And they're like, you tried to do this yourself? You're crazy. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. They're like, find someone to do this for you. You're making some decent money now. You can spend money on your business. I had never spent money on my business this way before. So I asked, what do I do? Can you do it for me? And they're like, no. <laughs> Go to elance.com. And there's odesk.com as well, but I went to elance. I put up a job for someone to record my audiobook. And I had 15 people sign up to, to, and bid on my project. I was like, sweet, this is awesome. This guy could do it for 200 bucks. And then he I wasn't went, the best one. Well, they had like a 3.5 rating and stuff. And I went to my group again because I was like, I always was constantly asking for help. And that's something that was really important, I think to my success was I always was asking for help. I wasn't afraid to ask for help after I found out the power of what asking could do. Obviously, I didn't want to be annoying. Um, and I would always try to give back after people helped me. But anyway, I got these bids and I, I went back to my group. Guys, what do you guys think of this, this guy? He's, he, can, um, he can do it for 200 bucks. And they were like, is this the lowest bid? And I was like, yeah. He's like, don't do it. So that's something I learned a few times, actually. Never go for the lowest bid. They're doing that to try to undercut everybody else, and they're probably not going to provide you the best quality. You don't want to take that risk. Fast forward, sidetrack a little bit. Yeah. Another mistake. I started a, an iPhone application business with my business, one of my business partners. That, that was not the mistake. The mistake was hiring someone on Elance at the lowest bid to create this application that should have taken three months, or should have taken three weeks, but took three months, and we ended up paying way more than we needed to, yeah. and a lot more stressful. But anyway. What app was that? Um, that app was called Pop It. And it, was it was like bubble wrap? No, no, no. 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 It was an app where you'd see a picture. This is really funny. Um, <laughs> the, the company we built, like, okay. So we, there's this guy named Joel Com. He made a lot of money creating an app called iFart. I'm up on stage and I'm saying fart. That's really weird. But 
he made a lot of money. And my business partner and I were like, this is crazy. This is unbelievable how this guy did, could do this. Let's, let's give it a shot and let's experiment in this market. So all of our apps were sort of silly apps. We didn't do any farting apps and nothing crazy like that. But this app was a, an app where you could choose a different sort of bottle, like a, a soda can or a, a two-liter bottle or a champagne bottle, and you shake your iPhone. And depending on, like, it's like almost like a game, and you get timed on how quickly you can shake the bottle until it explodes. And there's animation and stuff. It took three months for this, this team to do it. <laughs> Sounds pretty basic. Probably should have taken that long. It was absolutely basic, yeah. It's because you took the lowest bid. Yeah. But after three months, it did okay. It did okay. Um, yeah. But anyway, going back to my audio book, I ended up hiring this woman for 1400 bucks to read my audio. And that was the most money I'd ever spent ever at the time, even beyond rent. So I was, it was hard for me to part with that money. But after she recorded it, I listened to it. Obviously, I got a couple sample recordings from her beforehand. She had a, an, an amazing voice. Mm -hmm. She recorded the audiobook. I packaged it into a zip file, you know, all the MP3s. It was about 60 different MP3s, depending on the chapters of this book that she was reading. And I sold it. Uh, I sold it this way. So I had the ebook by itself. I had the audiobook by itself. Both of those were being sold for $29.95. And then I had a package for the ebook and audiobook for $49.95. In the first two days, I made up the cost of hiring her. And everyone who had listened to that audiobook was so impressed with the quality, quality that I wouldn't have been able to do myself, that they ended up sharing it like crazy. And it was interesting because after you know, a couple months of sales with both the ebook and the audiobook, most people got the package yeah. because they were getting it at a sort of a little bit of a discount. Yeah, a $10 discount. Yeah. Right. So one of the best ways to make more money is if you have products, create more products, especially ones that are in line and match up with the ones that you already have. Your best customer is your existing customer, yeah. if that makes sense. It does. Um, but you also want to get new people into your business as well, which a lot of your existing customers will help you with if you can provide value and give them a means or some sort of incentive for sharing as well. Yeah. So one of the mental things you were saying was you could have recorded it. You did record it. It took you three days. But if you find someone that can do things, even if you can do them, there are people out there that can do them better than you yeah. if you're willing to pay for better. it. Better and quicker, and that's why I hired Caleb here to shoot a lot of my videos. He did the book trailer for Let Go. He helped splice a video from New Media Expo this, um, this January, my presentation. He put that together for me. I could have done that myself, but I've learned that you know, hiring other people, yes, it does cost money, but time is also money. And that was a big, important lesson I learned. Well, when you take, what you say, 250 hours to work on your keynote, sometimes you need to hire people to get all the work done when you right yeah I spent quite a bit of time preparing the keynote for for this event. How um, many of those hours were spent just on the trip? Um, maybe two. Two hours practicing tripping because I wanted it to look real, you know, not be obviously fake, and I didn't want to hurt myself. And I was reading articles about how to fall properly. You know, wrestlers <laughs> do this, right? In uh, WWE, I, they, I thought wrestling was real. It's not real. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, I mean, there are ways to fall properly so you don't hurt yourself. Weight distribution, I'm not going to bore you with the details. But I did practice that. Although, I didn't account for how long the room was. I started at the back of the room because I wanted the dr dramatic effect going in reverse. Well, I ran up, shit, ran back, ran up again. And those pauses you heard in the beginning, those weren't for dramatic effect. Those were so I could catch my breath. <laughs> but it worked out in my favor. 
So another mistake. You did WordPress plugins, you said. Yeah, so I saw uh, the success from a lot of my colleagues who were building WordPress plugins and selling them for a premium, like premium WordPress plugins. A guy named Michael Dunlop created pop-up domination. Another guy named Glenn Alsop made one called um, Optin Skin, which is really good, which I still use on my yeah. site. And so I was like, wow, I have a lot of ideas for things that I could build that would make a life of a blogger easier. Um, maybe I should try this market. So what were some of those ideas? So one of the ideas was to create a resource page and have a admin panel in your back end where you can just quickly swap out and it'll keep track of links and all that stuff. And it's still a good idea, I think, because my most profitable page of my site is my resource page. And resources being things that I mention on other, uh, other posts that will help my audience. And it becomes a place where people can go to look for products, services, tools that would help them. But it's so profitable because a lot of them are affiliate links because you're recommending stuff you used. Correct. And, so, I, yeah. and I love the idea of a resource page. You should always have a resource page on your site because it's not aggressive. People choose to go to that page, and you get paid in return for showing them products that will actually help them. And so it's a win for everybody. It's a win for me because I make it a commission. It's yeah. a win for the people there because they don't have to find it. It's all there in one spot. And it's a win for the company, obviously, yeah. as well. But So anyway, I created this plugin to make and manage those pages easier. Um, but I made this mistake of not telling the developer I hired for $2,000 for this one plugin everything that was, they, that was supposed to happen. I told him what I wanted to happen, and I gave him a few ideas on how I wanted it to work. But when you're working with any sort of software developer for anything, from iPhone apps to WordPress plugins, themes, or whatever, you need to give them every single detail from what button goes to what, or what page links to this, or, you know, because I, I knew what I wanted the plugin to do, but I didn't realize there was all this, you know, when you install a plugin, there's like the settings area and the buttons and all these different things that go along with it. I had no idea. Yeah. So it would have been really smart for me to go talk to Michael Dunlop or go talk to Glenn Alsop and ask them about the process about of hiring the, someone to make right. a plugin. And I learned that. And maybe using the same developer they did. Perhaps, yes. Yeah. Um, Wireframing. Every single bit of that would have helped me out so much because when you give a developer just a little bit of information, they're going to fill in the details for you their own way. And then it's not going to match with your way. And I just got really frustrated with this process going back and forth trying to make this better. I just scrapped the project. So that's another $2,000 down the tube. But it was a $2,000 lesson, one that I could pass on. And um, hopefully... <laughs> You're that... welcome, everyone. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, you know, so I learned from that, yeah. from that too. And I learned also after reaching out to these people who had plugins that if you're going to do any type of software, customer service is a major part of that business. And for them, it's been a headache. So I was like, okay, well, I don't want to add a whole customer service team behind what I'm doing. So I just scrapped that idea as well. So I didn't prep you on this, but we're at a personal finance conference. Are there any personal finance mistakes that you feel like you've made? Wow. Thanks. See, I didn't prep you on this you at all. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't prep me. Um, you know, when I was working in the architecture firm, yeah. um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing a good job with saving for retirement yeah. and things like that. And I think even though I was young, I, I, I was thinking, hey, you know what? I'm young. I got lots of time. Um, I don't really have to save very much at this time. But, you know, after reading a lot of your sites here and, and um, discovering this, and I discovered this right around the time I got laid off, was that, you know, since I'm young, I have a lot of time. Yeah, I should use that time to my advantage. 
and start saving now. And even that little bit I save now can go a long way, you know, exponentially down the road. Mm -hmm. So that's why now, even though I'm, you know, a little older, I'm still relatively young. I'm putting most of my earnings away for yeah. later. Yeah. Um, and, and still trying to live the same lifestyle. Yeah. Cool. Good answer. Thank you. Yeah. I think we're good. Are we good? A any other mistakes? Deep, dark secrets? Um, you know, no. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe after we drink later, there'll be some more. <laughs> hmm. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of FinCon. So there's so much in there, actually. There's so many different little tidbits that you can pull from the interview with Pat. And there's, there's just something to be said about being able to say, you know what, this thing isn't working or this isn't what I want to do and it's not profitable and it's not what I should be doing with my time. Picking up, moving on to the next thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. And I just, I want to reiterate that there's nothing wrong with quitting. When you're growing up, you're in school, you're in sports, whatever, quitter, quitter is a bad word. You do not want to be a quitter. You don't want to be the person that quit running the race halfway through or quit during this soccer game and just sat down in the middle of the field. You know, you don't want to be a quitter. But in business, it's really about being able to focus on a few things, if not one major project, and knocking that out of the park. And if you have a lot of things going on all at once, I, myself included, I take on way too much probably than I should and try to accomplish way too much at once. If you can really pick what you want to do, focus on it, dedicate yourself on it, and just do that for the next decade, you're going to be successful. I, I could, I'm not gonna guarantee it, like 100% success rate, but chances are you're going to be successful. As always, you can go to calebwajic.com. That's C-A-L-E-B-W-O-J-C-I-K.com to get more episodes of this podcast, to check out my writing and any videos that I do, including that talk when it's ready in the next week or so. So see you in the next session of the Cubicle Renegade Podcast.